Hey, thanks for joining me on the Life Podcast, where you guessed it, we talk about life. My name is Austin, and I am so excited that you are tuning in. This podcast exists to encourage you and walk alongside you as you experience life. So thanks for tuning in. Now let's get into today's episode. We are in week number two of our series, Family Matters, and uh, we are going to talk about serving today. We're using this series, though, to really answer the question, what does it mean to be a family? What does it, what does it look like for a mom to be a part of a family? What is the role of a dad in a family? Um, and, and essentially, we're going to answer that question, what does it mean to be a family? And the title of today's message is this, Get Off the Bench. Get Off the Bench. If you're going to be a part of a family, of a community, then you're going to have to serve. You're gonna have some sort of responsibility in that family, in that community, whether that's at your house, whether that's in the body of Christ, whether that's in the community of Hermiston, whatever it is, we have a responsibility to serve as we are a part of a community and part of a family. We here at Hermiston Assembly are not consumers, but we are contributors when it comes to our community and when it comes to our family. Maybe you guys heard this growing up like I did all the time from my mom, but she said, if you're gonna live in this house, you're gonna live by my rules, and you're gonna do your part. That meant doing dishes, cleaning the dog poop, whatever it was, we had to do our part. Like I couldn't pay rent back then, but I could work. So my mom used, used me like that. So, but we had to serve because that was part of the family that I was in. If you're gonna be a part of a family or community, you're gonna have to serve. Um, if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and we'll pick it up right there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus is talking to a lawyer, um, and it says this in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put Put him to the test, saying, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I love Jesus. He makes the hardest thing sound so easy. He's like, Yeah, just, you know, love God and and love your neighbor just like you would love everybody else. It's, it's easy, just do that. Um, but the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, now, the mistake number one of the lawyer is that he assumes he's already fulfilled the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, I got that one, check that one off the list, but I should probably figure out who my neighbor is so that way I can just make sure I'm, I'm checking that one off the list too. So we asked Jesus who his neighbor is and in typical Jesus fashion, he tells him a story. He doesn't give him a, a, an easy answer, but he tells them a story. And it says this, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a traveler, and he encountered robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually a real place. The story that Jesus is telling is called a parable meaning it's not a real story, but it's something that he's telling to get the point across. But this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually infamous for crimes and for mugging. So this is true. They would have understood what he was talking about. Uh, Verse number 31 continues to say this. And by coincidence, remember this guy got beaten and mugged and he's laying in the middle of the road somewhere. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, likewise, a Levite also, both of these two were religious men at the time, Jewish religious men, who you would think should have the obligation and the duty to serve their neighbor, but end up passing by on the other side of the road. 
Uh, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I can only imagine the amount of excuses that these guys made, right? Well, I got to go do my daily service at the temple today, or I got to go uh, be with my family. I'm going to run late. I can't show up in bloody clothes to help this guy. They probably had all the excuses in the book. How many times do you and I have excuses for why we can't serve our neighbor, right? Maybe a friend calls you up on the weekend and says, hey, I know it's Saturday, but I got to move all this stuff from my house to this new house we bought. You want to help me move? I'll tell you what right now. I don't want to help anybody move. Moving is hard. Um, but, but uh, as Christians, we are called to serve and love our neighbors. But even though we all have excuses, God is calling us to serve those around us. So these two, I'm sure, had all the excuses in the book. But in verse 33, it says this. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon the man lying half dead in the middle of the road. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, here's what you need to know about the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were actually hated by the Jews. The Jews saw these people as like half-breeds. They called them like dogs. They were not even considered people. But it's weird in this context, as Jesus is speaking to a Jewish lawyer, would say, the one who felt compassion and began to serve was the one who you actually considered your enemy. The one who you hated is the one who helps you. And we'll get into what this story really means, but this is very interesting that Jesus would do this. In 34, um, it says, after the, the uh, Samaritan man felt compassion, he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed compassion to him. It's interesting that he couldn't even say Samaritan because that was like a bad word back then. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. That is what Jesus is telling you and I to do, to go and live a life like the Samaritan lived and help this man go and do the same. But let's pray really quick, and then we'll really get into this message this morning. God, I just thank you um, that your presence and your Holy Spirit is here in this room. God, I thank you for this family of Hermiston Assembly and those who are new this morning. And God, I just ask that you would speak to each heart uh, individually as they're sitting in their chairs this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Uh, now, really quick, I just wanted to tell you a quick story of a time that uh, I was growing up and how my mom taught me how to really be a part of a family and how to serve. Now, uh, something that frequently happened in the Nalen household growing up was there was constantly renovations going on. We were constantly uh, remodeling stuff, our kitchen, all the bedrooms. Uh, we rebuilt a shed in my backyard, which took a whole summer. That was a project. But there was always something going on in my household. And one particular weekend, we had just finished putting siding up on the house, brand new siding up on the house, and it needed to be painted. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I am so tired of working and doing all these things, wasting my weekends and, and fixing this house up, even though I live there. And I had a way out this one particular weekend. As my mom said, we need to paint everything on the outside of this house. Lucky for me, I played basketball and I had an AAU tournament that weekend. But it was here in town, so I didn't have to go too far. Um, and I remember my first game on Saturday morning. I can't remember if we won or lost it. But after the game, my mom was like, all right, we're going to head home and we're going to finish painting the house. I was like, all right, have fun. Have fun painting the house. And she said, no, we 
are going to go home and finish painting the house. And I'm thinking, Mom, I have another game here in like a few hours. Like, I can't, I can't go home and paint. I'm going to be all tired from doing that. I don't, I don't want to go with you. I want to stay here with my friends because they're going to be here at the gym and staying warm and, and warming up and whatnot. And she's like, no, we're going to go paint in between your games, and then you can go back when it's almost time for your next game. And I probably dragged my feet the whole way home as I had to go home and paint. I was so excited that I wouldn't have to serve and be a part of my family in that way. But I was wrong, and mom is always, always right. So I had to go home in between each of my games that weekend to paint the house. And it wasn't finished that weekend. It took a lot longer. Um, but my mom did teach me something really valuable in those moments, that it takes work to be a part of a family. It takes service to be a part of a family and a part of a community. And today, um, in order to help us serve in our families and in our communities, I want to give you a few points on what it really means to serve. Because I think a lot of us maybe just don't understand why we serve or what it actually looks like to serve. So we're going to talk about it a little bit. And point number one I have for you is this. Serving is a sacrifice. Serving is a sacrifice. If you notice, it's not the natural inclination for you to say, hey, I want to go help somebody or, hey, I want to go serve. If you're like that, then that's amazing. And I'm so happy for you. But I'm not naturally like that. So it's a sacrifice for so many of us to serve. We don't want to serve because it's inconvenient. We live in such a selfish culture that's me-centered and what I want, what makes me happy, what I want to do this week and not what somebody else wants to do. Think about the priest and the Levite in this story as they pass by the Samaritan man who was half dead in the middle of the road and really try to picture this moment because it's not like something, it's not like this man just needed help moving furniture to another house. It was, he was quite literally laying dead in the middle of the road and two people passed him by because they didn't want to inconvenience themselves to help him. They would rather let a man die in the middle of a road than let him live and help him. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. They cared more about themselves and their own needs and their own schedule that they wouldn't even help a dying man. And like I said, they probably had all the excuses in the book as to why they couldn't. Maybe they didn't have enough time or I don't know CPR or I don't know how to help him. But what excuses do is they actually disqualify us from serving and honoring God. Excuses, when we give them, it's not God disqualifying us. It's us disqualifying ourselves from serving and being a part of God's family. We disqualify ourselves before where we even give God a chance to do something through us and in our lives. But here's the deal. God is not looking for your excuses. God is not looking for your excuses. He's looking for your obedience. God doesn't want you to have all the excuses in the book and say, I can't this weekend. He actually wants when he says something for us to just do it. Not to say, hey, I'll do it in five minutes or um, I have something else going on that weekend. Can I do it another day? He says, no, I don't want you to make excuses. I want your obedience. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how little time you have. It doesn't matter how busy you think you are. When you are open and available to be used by God, he will do something despite our shortcomings, despite the knowledge that we think we don't have, despite the fact that we think we might be in over our heads. God will do something when we are open and available to him. Have you guys ever heard this phrase, God never gives you more than you can handle? You guys ever heard that? Can I tell you something? I don't like that phrase. Whenever I see somebody post about it on Facebook, I'm like, you know, that's, that's not true. Like God, would, God, I think, actually does give us more than we, we can handle. Because when we only have things in our life that we can handle, and I don't need to tell you guys this, you are all smart, you probably all understand this. But when we, when we have things in our life that we can't handle, when we feel like we're in over our heads and there's nothing we can do to get ourselves out of these situations, the only thing left for us to do is to turn to God in those moments. When he gives us things that we can handle, what it actually is doing is building reliance and trust on ourselves to live this life. But God doesn't call us to live this life in our own power, in our own strength. He actually calls us to live in dependence on him. That's how Jesus lived his 
entire life was in dependence on God the Father. Oftentimes when we serve, we might feel ill-equipped. We might not have all the knowledge in the book. I might not be the best Bible scholar up here preaching before you, but I'll tell you what, I am open and available to let God use me in any way possible so that way change might be, uh, might be had in this community, in this family of Hermiston Assembly, in the community of Hermiston. In my own family, I am open and available to let God use me however he desires. Whether I think I know enough, whether I have the time for it, I'm open and available to be used by God. Now look at the Samaritan in this story. This man sacrificed, I would say he sacrificed everything so much for this man. Number one, he sacrificed his reputation. A Samaritan man helping a Jew, that would never, ever happen. He was sacrificing his image, sacrificing what people might think about him. He sacrificed his, his reputation in that way. Many of us, if it came to our reputation and our self-image, we would never want that jeopardized. But he sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed his materials. He poured oil and wine out on this man who needed to be bandaged and when he used bandages. Um, and then it says that he paid for a place for him to stay, which was actually two denarii, which is two days worth of wages. And then not only did he pay that, he told the innkeeper, hey, whatever else you spend to take care of this guy, I will repay you. So we know that he spent far more than his two denarii. So he used his reputation was on the line, his materials were on the line, and his time was on the line. He sacrificed time to um, take this guy to the inn, to take care of him. He even put this man on his own animal and walked all the way to where this inn was. So he sacrificed his physicality as well. This man sacrificed so much for a man that he didn't even no, there was no exchanging of, of names before this man went and picked up a half-dead man off the street. He didn't say, hey, before I help you and, and, and bandage you up and whatnot, can you just tell me what race are you? Are you, are you a Jew? Because if you are, I, I think I got to walk the other way. Hey, um, um, are, you, are you Republican? Because if you are, I think I probably should walk the way. No, service is not about who you're helping. It's all about who you're serving. That's what it's about. So this man sacrificed much so much for a man that he didn't even know. Many of us wouldn't even give ourselves like this for somebody that we do know. We wouldn't even be sacrificial like this for our friends or our family. Like I said, we live in a, in a, in a selfish culture and it's all about what's easiest for myself. When is the last time that you, not, not the neighbor in the chair next to you, but you dropped everything to go and serve somebody that you knew, somebody that you didn't know? When was the last time you dropped everything to serve somebody, uh, my in-laws actually are some of the most self, are some of the most sacrificial people that I've ever met. They will drop anything and everything to serve somebody around them. Let me tell you a story of a time that uh, my wife and I had been married for about a year now. We were moving into this new apartment. We needed a bigger apartment because our first daughter Ellie was on the way. Kinsey was pregnant with her at the time, and uh, we're family, right? You, you, you and I in here, we're family. Because this story is gonna, it's gonna get a little vulnerable here, and, and I trust you guys, and, and I just, I need, I need to know that this is a safe space for me to tell this story. Um, but anyway, uh, like I said, my wife and I had been married for a year, and even though we'd been together for a few years before, married for a year, my wife still wasn't comfortable, let's say, using the the, the restroom, the facilities, when I was in the house. You guys catch what I'm saying here? Okay, she she would wait till I would leave for work to use the bathroom, okay? She'd wait till I was gone out of the house to use the bathroom. There's a point to this story, I promise. I'm not just out in my wife here. She gave me permission to tell this story, okay? I promise. So, so one particular evening, I am in the kitchen. Kinsey goes into the bathroom, but she's in there for an abnormal amount of time. And being a great husband that I am, I walk over, knock on the door. I'm like, hey, is, is everything okay in there? Like, are you all right? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. 
just tells me to go away, um, which I get. It's fine. Um, so a few minutes later, she comes walking out of the bathroom and she's crying. She like walks over to me and, and, and I, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. You just said you were fine, but, but now you're crying in my arms. And I had thought something terrible had happened. Like she must've been on the toilet and got like some news on her phone. I don't know. I thought something bad had happened. And so I'm hugging her. I'm consoling her. I was serving her. I had no idea what was going on. All right. I was just being such a good servant. Good job, Austin. Anyway. Um, so she, she was in my arms and then all of a sudden, her mom just comes like blasting through the front door. And I'm like, first of all, who invite? I don't like when people just walk into my house unannounced, but her mom comes through the front door and I'm like, what is going on? And then those two head straight to the bathroom. So I'm even more confused. I don't know what is going on. There's two people in the bathroom. I'm standing in the kitchen, like just looking around, like what is going on? Shauna, Kenzie's mom just had a sack of items that they took into the bathroom with them. I didn't know what was going on. So come to find out, come to find out, there was a uh, problem with the plumbing in the, uh, in the bathroom. Okay, I, I won't say any more than that. So what Kinsey had done is she had called, she didn't ask her husband who lived in the same house that was with her to just come in and help her. No, 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 no. This is a job for a mom. So she called her mom and her mom, no lie, dropped everything, ran to the store. We didn't have a, a plunger. We didn't have anything because we had just moved into this house. So her mom went to the store for her and then came to our house to save the day in like five minutes. Her mom dropped everything to come and serve her daughter. Now that's a funny story, but seriously, when was the last time that you dropped everything to serve somebody? When was the last time you were inconvenienced to help somebody out? It's probably been a long time for a lot of us. And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to, to upset you, but I say that to get you thinking. Like, am I really using this life to find purpose, to, to do something different, to, to make a change with it? All that to say, serving is a sacrifice. It's not always gonna be easy, but I promise you it'll always, always be worth it. Which leads me to my next point is this. Serving is our pleasure. Serving is our pleasure. Has anybody in here ever been to Chick-fil-A before? We got a few people, ah, guys, I'll tell you what, if they brought a Chick-fil-A to Hermiston, I'd be there, I'd be, I'd be broke. Somebody said, oh boy, I get it, I'd be broke. But, but the, at Chick-fil-A, when you say thank you, what do they say? They say my pleasure, right? Because they understand that it's not just a job, but it's really their pleasure. Now I know they have to say that, but Chick-fil-A is actually one of the most successful uh, uh, fast food restaurants in the world, even over McDonald's. And they're closed one day every week, which is pretty crazy because Chick-fil-A understands that it is their pleasure to provide service and an experience for their customers. It is our pleasure as followers of Jesus to serve. It is our pleasure to do that. Jesus tells this parable to remind us that this is how we serve, like it's our pleasure. He gives the comparison of the two religious leaders who decided that serving really wasn't their pleasure. And then the Samaritan man who knew that serving really was his pleasure. I think many of us understand that serving is essential to follow Jesus, but we go about it in all the wrong ways, right? Maybe you can remember this growing up. Maybe your parents asked you to do something or as a parent now, you've asked your kids to do something and you say, hey, Tino, will you go do the dishes? And Tino's like, uh, no, I will not go do the dishes. No, Tino wouldn't say that. Tino's a nice guy. But, but kids, or maybe you've done this when you were a child or, or your kid has done this to you, they'll, they'll tell you, yes, they understand that they have to do something, but they just stomp their feet the whole time they're going. They slam every door they can as they're on their way to the dishes because they don't understand that it's actually their pleasure to serve. Many of us actually serve God in the same way. 
They'll be like, I'll, I'll call somebody up and say, hey, I need somebody to, uh, to fill in on the nursery this weekend. Can you, can you do that? They'll be like, uh, I can't say no to Pastor Austin. So I kind of use that a little bit to my advantage because they can't say no to me. So some people still do, though. It's fine. It's fine. It hurts. I'm thinking about it right here. Anyway, but many of us serve God that same way. We say, oh, God, I don't want to, but I'll do it. And we stomp off and we slam every door and we let God know that we hate what we're doing every second of the way. God, I wish I wasn't in this nursery today. God, I really wish I was just downstairs listening to Austin preach a great message. That's where I really wish I was right now. But God, you you said I should be right here. So here I am. Do something, God. Just do something, God. That's how we serve. God, doesn't that look ridiculous? Many of us are doing that right now. We don't want to serve God, and we let him know that we don't want to serve God. It is funny to to talk about, but that is how we are living our life. Colossians 3.17 says this. Many of you guys probably know this verse. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether work or deed or in your words, do it with a smile on your face. When I go to Chick-fil-A, they all have smiles on their faces, and it's amazing. When we are serving God in the same way, not only is it going to be amazing for the people that you're serving, but you're going to get something out of it too. Serving really is about you. And did you know God isn't glorified when you complain about things? The Bible actually says to do things without grumbling, without complaining. So when we do those things, we're not bringing God the honor and the glory that he deserves. But furthermore, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, Jesus says this, which I think really changes the way that we as a culture think about serving and serving those around us. It says this, Jesus speaking, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And here's the really funny part, the really weird part that doesn't make sense to us. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Did you know that when you're serving, you're losing your life? You're you're laying it down for Jesus, but he gives you a promise. He says, when you serve and lay down your life, what will you do? You'll find it. But when you're selfish, when you find your life, when you think that you got it all figured out, when you think you found the meaning and the purpose of life on your own, you've lost it. You've missed the whole point. Because the point of life and the point of serving is actually about us. Jesus says, when you serve me, yes, it's about bringing the kingdom to where you're at, but it's actually about you. You find life that way. You find joy in serving. You find hope in serving. You find discipleship in serving. You find so many things in serving, but when you don't, you lose. You miss out on a lot of stuff. And Jesus never called us to live like that. He's telling us the only way we can find meaning and fulfillment is by laying down our life. He gives us the the blueprints to find life and to find pleasure. Like I said, serving is multifaceted. It, It helps the people you're serving, but it's also for you too. So don't discount it like that. Serving is not only a sacrifice, but it's our pleasure. Serving is our pleasure. Next time you serve, I just want you to think about Chick-fil-A and say, you know what? This is my pleasure. I get to do this. I don't have to do it. And sometimes I don't want to do it, but I get to do this. I get a chance to participate and partner with God and what he's doing and where he's moving. And that is enough for me. I'm not doing it for the applause of people. I'm not doing it so that way Pastor Austin will say, thanks, you did an amazing job. I'm doing it because God has called me to be obedient to him and to him alone, not to anybody else. So when I serve, it really is my pleasure. 
Now, that brings me to my last point, point number three, and it's this. Serving is a result of love. Serving is a result of love. The Samaritan man in the scripture that we just read, it actually said that he felt compassion for the man that was lying half dead in the middle of the road. Now, if you've ever read the Gospels before, you would know that, that uh, Jesus, whenever he healed somebody, whenever he delivered somebody, when he fed people, um, when he fed the 5,000 and the 3,000, it always says this in the scripture. Jesus was moved with compassion, so he did something. So he served, so he healed, so he fed. But it all started with compassion. And here's the thing. Compassion is actually a result of love. So serving is a result of love, but ultimately compassion is what moves you. And compassion only comes from love. So if you don't love, if you don't love your neighbors, if you don't love those around you, you'll never have compassion. And if compassion is the thing that moves you, then you'll never do it since you don't love those around you. So here's what I really want to do right now. I want to, to help you understand that you really can love those around you because I don't think we have a serving problem. I don't think that's it. I think what we really have is a love problem because when we love, the natural by byproduct is service. So, so we're going to look at this story one more time, the story of the Samaritan man. And uh, I think it's really going to help us see how we can love. It's really going to change our perspective and our mind. So, so let's look at this story one more time. We have a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan and a half-dead Jew in the middle of the road. But, but outside of that, we have Jesus talking to this lawyer, okay? And you and I, we're actually the lawyer in this story. Maybe you've never read it like that before, but, but you and I are actually the lawyer in this story. And, and the lawyer, he's not the priest. He's not the Levite. He's not even the Samaritan in the story. The lawyer is the man who's sitting half dead in the middle of the road. We have the, the priest and the Levite, which actually is indicative of the law, the law of Moses and the Torah. The priest walks right by, meaning the law isn't what saves us. You and I, we're the lawyer. We're half dead. We're half dead. The Bible actually tells us that we're half dead. The Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are the ones lying half dead in the middle of the road, trying so desperately to crawl to somewhere that can help us, trying so desperately to get somewhere that we can't on our own. But then along comes this, this crazy guy, the, the good Samaritan, as they call him. And, and who else could that be but Jesus? Who else is that good? Who else would come by and, and, and help somebody they don't even know? They don't exchange names. They don't exchange uh, 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 business cards. They don't even know what race this guy is. But who else is that good that they would serve? The neighbor they don't even know. Jesus is the good Samaritan. You and I are the Jew lying half dead in the middle of the road. And, and it's a crazy picture because as the priest passes by, as the Levite passes by, what that, what that is indicating is an attempt of, of us trying to save ourselves through good works. It's actually the law that is passing us by. The law can't save you. Good works can't save you. There is nothing good that you can do that'll save you. No amount of money you give to charity, no amount of service you do can save you. There is only one that can save you, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He sacrificed everything. As I mentioned earlier on in the story, this man sacrificed his time, his resources, his money, all to save this man lying dead in the middle 
of the road. He picks him up, puts him on his own animal. That's indicative of us taking Jesus's place in righteousness before God the Father and Jesus taking our place on the cross. That's what the story's really about. Yes, the story has great principles in it of service, which I just preached to you, but it's about so much more. This is actually a story of love. And I tell you this because the only way that we will ever serve is if we love. So we have to understand why we love. We love because God first loved us. While we were yet sinners, while we were still doing all the wrong things, trying to make it on our own, God loved us. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God is the great initiator. He is the one in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and brought disobedience and evil into the world. He set a plan in motion, a plan of love, as a matter of fact, to see us saved, to see us rescued, because he knew that we would never be able to do it on our own. He knew we would try and he knew we would fail. And ultimately, that's what happened. But now Jesus has been sent to save us. His plan was to give his only son that we might be saved. And because he loves us in that way, we can love the same way. We can love with the love that we've been shown. It's hard to love somebody. It's hard to love when you don't know what love looks like. But I have good news. Jesus has shown each and every one of us in this room what love truly looks like, what love truly is. And Jesus ends this interaction with the lawyer in a very powerful and compelling way. He says, he says I've just told you this story of a Samaritan man who, who, who served this guy he didn't even know and paid for the things he needed and, and used his own resources and materials. He says this, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Jesus, are you saying that, that I need to go and, and, and help people who are, who are dead in their sins and their trespasses and serve them and show them the gospel in the midst of it? Yes, that is what Jesus is saying. Go and do the same. We only get to do that, though, because Jesus has done that with you and with me. You have a mandate from Jesus himself to go and serve those around you. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not like something you'll just get extra credit for when you get into heaven. Serving is actually the main dish. It's the main assignment that you and I have on this earth because when we serve, we bring the kingdom to wherever we're at. It says something when I go and serve my unsaved family and help them move their, their couches from house to house and help them lift heavy things. It actually says something about me. It says that I love them enough to serve them. And through that interaction, I could share the gospel. I could, I could do all these things. So service is really an avenue to bring the kingdom into life. And, and it's not just, I'm not up here preaching as, as Austin, the family pastor who needs volunteers for his kids and youth ministry. But if you're interested, let me know. Just saying. But I'm up here as a guy who's telling you, you can serve in your local church. You can serve in your own household with your spouse and your kids. You can serve in your school. You can serve in your workplace. You can serve in the greater community of Hermiston. There are so many places to serve. Honestly, I would rather you serve somewhere else than serve right here in the body of church because it's a lifestyle. And I know if you're serving out there, you'll serve in here. I'm not just in here asking for people to watch kids in the nursery. That's not what it's about. But when you watch kids in the nursery or when you're teaching Sunday school, what you're actually doing is giving single parents and other parents the opportunity to hear the gospel for the first time because it's not about you. Serving's never been about you. 
It's always been about Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. When we go out next week for I Love My City and serve our city and don't ask for anything in return, what we're doing is we're actually showing our city the love that Jesus has shown us. He gave us everything and didn't ask for anything in return. So we are going to go and do everything we can to love those around us. So that way we can bring the kingdom to where we are at. So what are you going to do? Are you going to get off the bench? Are you going to be an active part of your family, of your community? Whether that's in your household or at your workplace or at your school, what are you going to do? It's time for you to move from consumer to contributor. It's really great to sit in a Sunday service every single week and not miss a week. But how much more fulfilling is it to be doing something, to be serving God? Can I tell you, when I first came to Hermiston Assembly, I spent two straight years out in kids' church. I would come in here after a year and a half, and they'd be like, hey, are you new around here? I'd be like, I've been here for two years. I've been serving. But I bet you this, that I grew a lot more than people in here did. Not everybody. But I learned so much more in serving and being the hands and feet of Jesus. This is great. This place is great. I'm standing up here preaching to you. I love this Sunday gathering. But it's not really about this. It's about so much more than this. And, and, and there's so many ways for you to serve. You can serve at your local church. That's a great way to serve. If you want to volunteer, you can go to hermistonassembly.com serve. There's plenty of ways you can do so. You can talk to one of the pastors on staff that they'll get you plugged in. That's a practical way that you can take a next step if you feel led to respond today. If you want, like we've talked about multiple times this service, I Love My City is coming up. There are signups available in the lobby. You can go out there and sign up to, to clean up downtown, to do a car wash, to do uh, what we call laundry love and, and pay for people's laundry and minister to them while they're waiting in the laundromat. There are all sorts of practical things that you can do to serve. And if you're in here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't really have time to do that, then I think I'm talking to you this morning then I think you're probably the one who needs to sign up the most. And I don't say that from a place of, uh, of I'm better than you. I promise you that I will be serving alongside of you. But I'm telling you, your service will be worth it. It'll be your pleasure to serve, as a matter of fact. And I bet you you'll love those around you even more after you serve than you did before. Because that's what serving is all about. Look around you. There are so many opportunities to serve. Uh, growing up, I watched this movie uh, called Robots. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen it. I used to love it. Um, it was about these inventors, though. And there was this big inventor. I forget his name. Um, and, and what his motto was, was actually really amazing. It was this, see a need, fill a need. See a need, fill a need. Meaning that if you see a need in church, don't ask anybody. Fill the need. If I see somebody lying half dead in the middle of the road, I say, hey, ah, he didn't ask for my help. I guess I don't got to help him. No, serve. See a need, fill a need. And that's, that's a principle you can take with you in church, with you in your homes. If you've noticed the dishes haven't been done in four days, I'm sure your wife, your mom, your dad will really appreciate if you do the dishes. See a need, fill a need. Yeah, the husbands, that was for you, okay? That was for you. Go do the dishes. Um, anyway, anyway, see a need, fill a need. When it comes to family, we should be happy to serve one another because it really is our pleasure. Now, a couple things I want to do as we close this.